I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to Magic Hour. My guest on the show today is New York-based photographer Mary Manning. She's the author of Blueprint and First Impressions of Greece and has contributed to numerous publications, most recently a wonderful image text exchange with the author Olivia Lang in the Spirituality Issue of Aperture. In 2006, she started the blog Unchanging Window, which became an important creative outlet for her, and I was interested in how it all came to be. The impetus was that I had become aware of several other photo blogs and at the same and started to follow them and the makers of those sites like tiny vices and epically latered uh were really like just ravenously taking images and uploading you know 10 or 20 of them every day sometimes twice a day and I, at the time, had just started working this corporate job where I would travel back and forth from... I lived in San Francisco at the time. I would travel from San Francisco to New York back and forth almost every month. And um, it sort of felt like, oh, I'm going to do this too. And it's a way to like maybe kind of record what's going on in my life because my friend group often never knew if I was in town or not. So it was kind of like this way of like keeping track of what was going on and sharing it um, with essentially, you know, when I first started, I was like, there's just like five people that are looking at this. That coincided with, with when you first started to get into photography? No, I'd always no. been into photography from, yeah. I mean, I guess around like after college, I mean, it's a bit in college, but I didn't study art. I studied political science Mm -hmm. and but I was given cameras at a really early age my dad's an artist Mm. and so I'd been taking pictures since I was like 10 but then around at the end of college and moving to San Francisco I started really taking a lot more photos Um, and there were just like kind of really nice exciting cameras around they were like those Nickelodeon cameras that shot four frames and, mm-hmm. you know, Polar- Polaroids of all types and kinds. And um, I had an old Canon that I still use that my dad had given me that was his. And, like, yeah, it just seemed to be um, a kind of the only thing I was making. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I wasn't painter it wasn't but I wasn't I also wasn't calling myself a photographer it really just felt like everybody had a camera on them really right so going back to the blog you started to sort of keep in touch uh with friends right just as a way to almost to to communicate right and what you would do is you would you would post something every day or every few days you would you'd upload photos I think it started out like kind of slow, not every day, it would be photos. And then I started to incorporate other things of interest to myself. Like it'd be like, I'm really obsessed with this movie. So here's a hundred <laughs> screenshots from this film. And, or like, here's a YouTube that made me laugh, but also next to five pictures that I took that day that I really loved. So it was, 
it was one uh, of those really simple blogspot formats. Um, and then around 2009, maybe three years into making this thing, I decided like, I want to, I want to like smarten this experience up and have like a page that's only dedicated to photos and then a page that's only dedicated to YouTubes and a page that's only about movies I really love. And a good friend of mine helped me build the site as you see it now. And then that really changed the way the photo page became such a like way more concentrated page that I felt like more and more people were looking at and responding to, like actively writing me about. Because I was, I was just, I started to do it every day. It became like, that was my practice, like every day. Right. I would do a post. Never twice a day. Uh-huh. <laughs> Never twice a day. Never twice a day. But yeah. every day, I would, that would be like the night before, or no, the morning. In the morning, I would get up, download the day before the pictures, and make a post and then right. go to work. So this is in the days, this is pre-Instagram. It's pre-Instagram. It's pre-Instagram. Yeah. Our mutual friend, Matt, you know, he was, uh, he was telling me how it was a pretty big blog and that's how mm -hmm. you guys kind of got to know each other. Totally. And, and I'm interested in this idea of it being this way of like kind of, of like finding and forming community. Was it that for you? It absolutely, 100% was that way for me. In fact... A lot of the friendships I made through that site exist today in like um, such a substantial way in my life. Like, and, it, and there was like even a stigma in the very beginning, I would say around those first years of like, you know, meeting up with people and then other people asking myself and this other person how we met. And then we'd feel like kind of embarrassed to say <laughs> that we met like because of the internet right <laughs> which now seems like not strange at all yeah but yeah there are people who live in the UK that I've spent you know visited numerous times and vice versa um on and on and on there's like a really substantial community yeah. and even just this past um month uh a really dear person who I realized I first met through that community passed away suddenly. Mm, and at sorry. his funeral, I realized like, Oh, all these people, like all, we were all connected initially through this landscape, this like internet scape, you know, it was really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, I think Instagram works that way for a lot of people or can work that way for a lot of people now. Like, I know there's people I can think of off the top of my head that I've met just because of Instagram. And then now we're doing a project together. It's like the benevolence of those platforms. Right. The benevolence is <laughs> a, uh, a good term to use. Yeah, the positive. Totally. The positive there's Certainly a lot of... Yeah, I mean, I think that's such an important thing. I'm always so interested um, in the way people come to community and engage with them. And I feel like it's just such an important part in any kind of artistic development. You know, nothing is really done in a vacuum. Absolutely. And it's much more meaningful as well when it 
comes when you can trace it back to these interactions or these like meeting points that happen. Yeah. Because of those platforms. For sure. For so sure. It's cool. So you were doing this at the time you were, you mentioned you were working a corporate job. Mm -hmm. What were you doing? I worked for, um, I worked for The Gap and I was working on all of their photo shoots, but from the side of all of their wardrobe. So I worked with the stylist and the company to kind of be the liaison between the company and, and be on these high level productions with major photographers right but in this other arena so it was like a job that was taking me out of like an office setting I'm, I'm, I think maybe my job was like 60% 55% office and 50, you know 45% studio mm -hmm. and traveling so it also really was super generative to me as far as like making images because I was always in these other environments like traveling or being in uh, a studio and I felt really inspired by like the situations that I was put into because of that job. Not yeah. the job itself per yeah. se, but yeah. Uh, but it was, you know, it's also just a, like a financial end to a mean For sure. means to an end, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You you were involved in selecting photographers, or you just dealt like with logistics. I wasn't, but um, but I feel confident that I could do that now. But yeah, at the time, I I I had no part in that. It was like a job where I utilized all this like organizational qualities of myself, like, mm -hmm. but not. I didn't have to. I wasn't there to contribute creatively. Right. Which was fine. But was that something that interested you at all? I mean, like, I mean, even like uh, that that uh, realm of photography, working in fashion in studios and uh, big sets, did that appeal to you at all? Or to be the photographer? Yeah. Uh, did you see that work? At, you know? There's many. There's been many occasions where I thought I should just do this. It's like I know I know the ins and outs. I know what this looks like. Um, but there's a part of me that actually really isn't interested in it. It's such a, it's such a, uh, extremely full field. And it's not to say that there doesn't need to be another eye in that field. And I think I would crush it, but, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also just like really interested in like making art and making publications and like, but there have been times when people have approached me to do something and and that's been amazing and I'd be happy to do things on a kind of case by case basis but like the idea of just really setting out to shoot commercially right doesn't totally appeal to me so what was the photography that you were into at the time was there was there anything that you were looking at that was really uh like engaging you that kind of made you feel like oh like I want to do that there's so many really that I love like kind of more classic photographers but it was more like I mean obviously Tillman's is like the most easy uh number one person to look to and be like I love what he does that's it resonates to me like our ages are and reference points are all kind of similar mm -hmm. and um 
it's funny. A lot of times when I think about naming all these photographers, I, I get tripped up, and the first person I think of is this filmmaker, Nathaniel Dorsky, and that's somebody mm. who, like, inspired me far more than any other, like, the contemporary photographers at the time. What did he do? He does these really, really beautiful, silent films, uh, experimental films, where he goes on walks in his neighborhood. In, or, you know, if he's traveling, he'll just bring his Bolex with him and is just always kind of out there, like, noticing the world and, like, kind of quietly capturing these oblique moments that look like they're, you know, he'll point his camera in a, in a way toward a reflection where it looks like some camera trickery is happening, but it's just, it's just like the subtlety of like his eye hmm. and the way things are edited is just the super rad poetry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's hmm. like probably my number, num- I mean, number, they're maybe they're tied. Those two. <laughs> I think Dorsky would probably be my number one influence. Huh. I don't know. Yeah. But I only came to learn about him in 2007, I think. So he's relatively new. How do you remember the year? How do you remember it being 2007? I was, um, I had just moved to New York and yeah. I had flown back to San Francisco for a visit. Uh, now I'm tripping up. Maybe it's 2009. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Somebody fact checks me. I'm like, like busted. <laughs> But I had flown back to um, San Francisco because of the company headquarters being based there. I had this kind of built-in thing where they would fly me back to SF, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and a good friend was like, hey, you got to come see this um, film night. I know you're really going to dig it. And yeah, sure enough, I was like, whoa. Yeah. I'm blown away. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like this amazing... Like, he's in his late 70s, uh, maybe even early 80s now. Has this completely wry Buddhist humor. And the way he speaks you know, about his work is super, super nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. He's also in that film about um, gay people from 1976 called Word is Out. Have hmm. you heard about that? No, I don't know that one. It's like a film collective in SF that filmed um, hundreds of people across the country and then narrowed it down to 26 interviews of gays and lesbians. So you were into this idea of roaming around and just making pictures out of everyday life. Absolutely. So what happened? You're working the corporate... I mean, photography is funny. I mean, photography, it's, it can be this occasional thing. It's not like being a painter where you're going into a studio on a exactly. daily basis and... Um, and, you know, work and like, you know, chipping away at a painting or it's something you can do as you go about your life. Absolutely. But you decide to leave that job eventually? Um, it was decided for me, but it was completely, uh, a blessing. Mm -hmm. Like it was a situation where I'd been, uh, wanting that change. And then when it happened, uh, yeah, it was a total gift. Having been there for so long, I was like, you know, put in a position where I had a little bit of money that they could, you know, they give you money when they kick you out, which mm-hmm. is great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I got to sort of live this past year um, really differently where 
like my studio was my job. Right. And I mean, I'd say like sort of somewhere between 2010 and 2014, things began to shift. Like, like I said, I'd started taking film pictures again around the middle of that period. And, uh, and the blog had become this known, it was known enough that people were approaching me about um, showing work in a gallery, which I had maybe done once or twice in San Francisco, but again had just really not considered myself an artist and really even thought of the, of the blog practice as just this like, this is just this project. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really even know what to call it, but then it was almost really helpful that peers were like, no, this is, you need to show work. Like, we believe in you. We want to make a book with you. And so things began to pivot um, around maybe five years ago, five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. What about, you just said something that I'm curious, but what about this ambivalence of being an artist? Just yeah. that, that, that kind of train of thought. I'm curious um, how you relate to it. And I speak to so many artists who have a kind of imposter syndrome or mm-hmm. that kind of ambivalence, you know. Totally. Um, uh, yeah. I know. It was a, kind of a mashup, but I, I'd say in my like younger self, in my younger self's brain, I just felt... Uh, that something existed that maybe it is impo- maybe that's the definition of imposter syndrome like I didn't go to art school there were these things I didn't have that made me not an artist mm-hmm. and I didn't quite understand that like actually y- you know there's like an inherentness to being an artist most of the time you know sometimes people do you know, follow this track and become artist or something. You know what I mean? Right. But then uh, it was like this accepting of this thing that that for years I, I just told myself I wasn't. And it just existed as one of those things you tell yourself. I don't have too many of those things, you mm-hmm. know? Like somebody asked me recently in a studio visit, they're like, well, what else do you tell yourself you're not? And I was like, whoa, that's a fucking crazy question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, hmm, too personal. <laughs> 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 but, uh, I mean, on the on the personal side of that question of about telling myself I'm not an artist, I also just had a kind of heavy experience uh, with an artist father who, you know, had like a lot of, an, had an idea that, you know, there maybe wasn't room in the village for two artists. Mm. Not, not so much that that was a spoken thing. It just felt like his behavior as an artist was so off-putting to me that I almost, I mean, when I dig deeper, I'm, al- I'm almost kind of like, oh yeah, it probably just was like, ugh. Hmm. You know, like... How come? It was just incredibly narcissistic and, like, I don't know, just... And then, and then you know, moving through the world as a young adult and meeting other artists that maybe had some of those characteristics, I was like, ugh, mm-hmm. artist or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, like, developed a kind of a weird moment of thinking, like, 
oh, you have to exist in this way. But then also getting older and meeting more people and meeting these beautiful, more nuanced humans. And then you're just um, drawn to something or to doing something. Um, and then that that continual effort, like that sustained interest or curiosity in um, in doing something or making stuff is totally. almost, uh, yeah, I think that's almost, that is what, you know, absolutely what is at the end of the day, where, where that comes from. I'm not sure. It's something that I'm always curious about. Yeah. Even like looking back and then being like, Whoa, I always have been doing this thing, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that is that, that phrase you just used, the sustained curiosity, the same, this like, but for me, this like focus on image, you know, film and photo and it's it's all really like a strong through line (laughs) what kind of artist was your dad uh a painter a painter Mm -hmm. was there a lot of culture in your upbringing you were you grew up with a lot of art yeah it's interesting my parents separated when i was really young my mom uh was my primary caretaker and i spent every other weekend with my dad Mm -hmm. um but on those weekends it was definitely an immersion into his world, which would include, you know, trips to look at art, trips to look at uh, nature, trips to, I don't know, just be in his home full of objects. And yeah. Mm. Was that positive at all? Yeah, that was super positive because on the flip side, you know, while my mom was so nurturing and amazing like he was able to nurture this other thing that she didn't like that wasn't an area of interest for her Mm -hmm. um so yeah it was positive in that way Mm -hmm. i felt lucky to have it be there for me because otherwise like the region i grew up in um you know it was there was a a lack (laughs) Mm -hmm. per se pretty strong but um, I guess I grew up maybe 30 minutes from St. Louis, Missouri, but mm-hmm. on the Illinois side in sort of a factory town that didn't have much culture going for it. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, so luckily having a parent that was interested in like seeking it out was really helpful. I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to my conversation with Mary Manning that we recorded in New York. To find out more about the show and see more of Mary's work, follow us on Instagram at Magic Hour Podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You present your work in a certain way in, in the gallery context, and you also uh, are a bookmaker. Mm. Are there any preferred modes of expression that you gravitate to? That's interesting. I never thought about it. like what is more preferred than the other. Or they're just different, maybe. They're just so different because then, 
you know, I guess Instagram exists as my blog now, or mm-hmm. even though I actually really want to go back to making that site. You want to go back to blog? A little yeah. bit, yeah. Why did you stop? I just felt that it was such a... Um, this is going to sound a bit corny, but I just felt like it was just such... Like the audience left. Mm-hmm. Like I could just feel that there was no one in the room really anymore because everybody had moved to Instagram. So it just, including myself. And so it felt like this, I was, it just felt like this channel shift where I was like, well, so I'm carrying around a film camera, my phone and a digital camera. And then I was negotiating like which image was going to which platform, or mm-hmm. which end use, you know? Right. And it felt like since I didn't feel that there was much engagement happening on the site anymore, it was like kind of an easy omission. Added to that, one other thing, the digital camera world felt so off-putting to me. And that was kind of why I switched back to film. It just felt so um, about consuming and about getting the next thing in this way that stressed me out. Hmm. Like it was like, ugh, I gotta get a new program. I gotta get a, the mm. new, I gotta get the next version of this oh, camera. Technologically, okay. technologically speaking, uh-huh. I just felt really annoyed. I felt like part of keeping up that blog was keeping up this digital camera, being in that digital camera world. Uh-huh. And then I just was like, I'm just gonna extricate myself from that, <laughs> and then just like. Like, I'm in this space now where people are asking me to do projects, and now I'm just going to choose to use this other photography. You've done some interesting projects lately. Um, You were in the most recent issue of Aperture. You had a dialogue with uh, the author Olivia Lang, who's incredible. A dream. By the way, she's unbelievable. I'm such a fan. Um, It was truly uh, mind-blowing to do that project. So how did the collaboration come about? It was so quick, actually. Uh, I was meant to leave the country at the end of July this summer, and she wrote to me maybe the 1st of July and said um, that she had had a conversation with Wolfgang and that, um, and that she, had, she proposed back to him this idea of us doing this exquisite corpse type of project. where Exquisite corpse? It's exquisite corpses like a game, mostly a drawing game where you fold a piece of paper and on one folded side, one person draws something and you pass it to somebody else and then they just connect the line. They unfold to the next segment and then draw the other thing kind of without seeing it. I mean, I guess our project wasn't totally exquisite corpse per se because you can't see what came before, but it was this idea of like, just responding to the other person. Each entry is like a kind of mystery. Like, what's going to happen? Right, you know? right. Like, what's she going to write about or what image will I choose? Right. And then you, so you so you'd go back and forth and just keying off each other. Yeah. So our plan was to do a week. And, and we really did it right up until I left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was great. 
I cried when I saw the finished product. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just so moving. It was just um, yeah. really special. Yeah, for sure. What else have you done recently? I saw that you, I mean, you have, we could talk about um, some books that you've done, but I saw recently you're involved with a, a cookbook, Dimes Cookbook. Yeah. Yeah. Also was... super, super special project. Yeah. Um, and a kind of a wild card for me as well, because it involved, you know, it's like food photography. Right. I was like, you guys know what my pictures are like. And they're like, yeah, that's what we want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but the the women who um, started Dimes and who run Dimes are two really old friends who worked in a restaurant that I used to go to a lot when I first moved to New York. And that was my first friend group, really. Mm-hmm. And so I'd been involved in like knowing about their rest knowing about dimes and going to dimes and really big part of my life and my friend circle so them asking me to do it was really rad Mm. it was it worked out again like working in this way that was different from my own bookmaking of like having shot list and achieving um achieving certain um, photographs as opposed to this editing process where it's like um, discovery through discovery. Editing. Yeah, exactly. So it was very different, but no less uh, no less fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, some somebody reached out to me to do something kind of I think based on knowing that I had done this cookbook, and I turned it down because it just was like. Like the dimes thing was more of like a connection mm-hmm. that I have to those women and like that restaurant and the, the community there. And like, I was like, I don't think I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I should have probably said yes for the money, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, I don't know. It won't come through. <laughs> I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that, uh, this year you dedicated kind of your, like going into the studio, like that was your job you know, going to the studio every day and working in there. What does your studio practice look like? What are you doing there? I know. It's interesting because, A, I've only ever had a studio since about f- four years ago. And so... That's not in your house. That's not in my house, exactly. Yeah. So I've only just... There have been a lot of moments where I'm like, so what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. Like, is this is this what you do in your studio? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or like questioning those things. But I mean, you know, obviously there's a totally different way of working in there than there would be at my house. It's like, I'm just kind of like confronting like the images that I've taken or gathered or selected as like images that I really envision seeing either in book form or in, in a collage and what I'd done with this small studio space is like put up sheet metal mm-hmm. and to be able to like just put up magnetized photos easily and kind of look at se- different sequences and different groupings. And so sometimes it's about playing with that. Sometimes it's about watching <laughs> YouTubes of things that <laughs> inspire me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes not often reading there, but yeah, I think mostly just kind of contemplating um, 
these small prints that I get made and kind of playing with them and shuffling them around. Mm-hmm. That's how you work with small prints, four by sixes? I do three and a half by five. Three and a half by five? small fan. I have small hands. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, it's such a nice, I love that size. It is really nice. Yeah. So, yeah. Not many places make that small No, anymore. I mean, who, who does make them that small? Um, Bleaker Digital. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ken Mayer. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really nice size. It's really satisfying. And actually, um, that first show I did with Canada, almost, I mean, I made, I think, three large prints. And by large, not even that large. Maybe like 16 by 20. And then um, the rest were these collages using those mini labs, mm-hmm. which also, in, you know, is kind of like, sacrilege or something you know people are like they're like oh that's shitty color that's like you know you know Mm -hmm. but those labs i I love the quality of those prints i don't discount them at all yeah (laughs) but then when i do get to make prints with a, a proper analog printer i use this amazing woman in brooklyn named julie pokron mm-hmm um, that's a whole other exciting process and like, like going and choosing, you know, from the range of different colors she's, you know, emphasized or decreased or, and that's a whole other fun yeah, collaborative thing. So what about this idea of collage? Where does that come from? I didn't really name it this when I was doing it, but then looking back, I'm like, this comes out of making posts, actually. You know, this this idea of like putting one thing following the next, following the next, or this like edit process. It became like that's a grouping of images that convey this broader thing, and mm-hmm. and like those collages to me seem like the next iteration of that but like in analog form, Mm -hmm. you know? And then, and then also I had started playing with these like other objects to like add in kind of a pause. Mm -hmm. But like what kind of objects? Um, plastic bags, scraps of fabric, um, an insect wing. Mm -hmm. Uh, what else have I incorporated? Um, yeah, I think that's, there's, there's been more, but I'm spacing out. A napkin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, on the, on the course of all those photo shoots I'd been in, I, I was always like finding something that I think was really beautiful and, you know, like giving it some sort of like specialness or something. And that meant like saving it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know why I was saving it. And then it was exciting to start realizing I could just, they could, it could become part of this bigger piece. Like it's its own thing. Yeah. How do you deal with uh, with all your photos? Like do you, have, uh, do you have a system for archiving things? Oh my gosh. I have no system. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm like, should be more stressed out about it than I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, I think that should be a 2020 goal. Mm-hmm. It's like getting a system 
Are you always I, just going through stuff? Just I'm like always big just stacks, going big through. stacks of piles. Yeah. yeah, I've got these, you know, really beautiful. A friend of mine works at a really beautiful paper supply place in Brooklyn. I've got these beautiful boxes, and I just threw. Tell us. Talus. Oh yeah. I just throw Love like Talus. envelopes of pictures. They're not a sponsor, and... by the way. I was Talus. Yeah. Maybe you can. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talus <laughs> is so great. But yeah, that that is a question that sort of makes me feel a little bit of anxiety, just because that they are so precious. All the negatives, and you know, I'm really not dealing with things super carefully. But I'll get to it. Yeah. And also, I totally don't feel. The other thing about my work and about photography, I don't feel so intensely precious about like the interference of like a particle of dust on a negative. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. great, I can live it. That's whatever. That's right. the universe. Right. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure talking. Uh, such a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you. That was my conversation with Mary Manning that we recorded in New York. This episode was produced by me, Jordan Weitzman, and was edited by Crystal Duhame. Music in this episode by Adam Feingold. To find out more about the show and to see more of Mary's work, follow us on Instagram at Magic Hour Podcast or visit us at magichourpodcast.org. Thanks so much for tuning in and see you next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.